Welcome back, everybody, to Unbashful. As always, I am your host, Nicholas Doucette, and I'm excited for another week and another opportunity for me to sit in front of this mic and in front of this camera. And uh, we got a lot of exciting things to discuss in today's podcast. Um, as the title suggests, Joker 2 has begun its development. We're going to get into that. And a lot of other news regarding some very, very exciting things to come in the film world. Uh, but the first thing we're going to talk about is the Batman. And I know for some of you, it's like, again, like, I'm sorry, I'm really excited for this film. But I think this is an interesting topic of discussion because I've seen a lot of people in the community and, you know, people that are fans of Batman, obviously, have been asking the question really for the past, you know, year since this film has kind of been announced and people have been getting excited for it. And that question is, will this film be a part of the DCEU at some point or another? Um, and for me, my answer is no. Uh, and I, I, at least not right now. And I think there's a, there's a couple reasons to tell us why it's no, because as of right now, it is a no, it's not even like, you know, my opinion. Um, like the answer generally is no. And the reason why is because for those of you who don't keep up with the movie news, uh, the director, Matt Reeves of the new Batman with Robert Pattinson, he has said that this is self-contained. It's not, you know, it's not included. It's not a part of the DCEU. And I think that is, even if he had never said those comments, I think it's pretty obvious because if you observe, you know, the DC films in like Wonder Woman, Aquaman, The Flash, they all have, and what I'm, what I'm about to say is not, is not an insult because you could very well say the same thing for the Marvel films. And that is that some of these films have a very kind of cartoony feel to them, a very cartoony kind of look. And I think a, a good example of that is Aquaman, because with Aquaman, I think that film probably has the most CGI and visual effects I've ever seen in a film. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people would counter and be like, well, the film is supposed to be taking place underwater. Of course they have to. And, and that is, that is true. But I'm just, I'm just being objective. Like generally speaking, um, like I know they can't film a movie underwater like that. I I'm well aware of that, but you know, you have things like seahorses, like, you know, people riding seahorses and sharks and, and all kinds of, you know, sea creatures. So if you look at a film like that and you look at a film like Wonder Woman 1984 and the upcoming Flash and, you know, some of the Snyder films like the, you know, Justice League and all that, uh, the Batman, I think is very grounded, a lot more grounded compared to those films. It has a very, you know, noir kind of detective feel that we, I mean, we've heard people say that before as well. And I agree with that. Um, and I don't like using the word realistic because at the end of the day, you know, the story of Batman, Bruce Wayne, it is still fictitious. It is still, you know, um, you know, fiction. I basically just said the same thing there. Uh, but that is the case. But if we compare it to the other DC films, because those other DC films, they have a theme and they have a, uh, 
an atmosphere that they've created. And that, like I said, that is not a judgment because that theme and that familiarity and that consistency, that's what has made, you know, Marvel, for example, and DCEU, that is what has made these characters in those collective shared universes. That's what's made them so beloved and successful, you know, in, in this industry. So that in no way is judgment. But for me, the Batman, it gives me, you know, it, it gives me uh, Fincher vibes, David Fincher vibes. It gives me sort of those kind of, you know, uh, uh, looks to the film. It kind of, like I said, gives me a dark sort of crime thriller aesthetic. That is something we've never really seen in a comic book film. I think the closest representation, sorry, I just want to make sure that we're still good. Um, before we continue, I was actually, I already uh, started this podcast. I was about 10 minutes in about half an hour ago. And on my computer here, you can see it's not facing me. So I can't see the screen. And when I was, when I, I was, like I said, I was 10 minutes in and then I looked over and then it wasn't like the audio on the software I use audacity wasn't even recording. So that's always annoying. So I had to restart. I mean, it could have been worse. I could have been like an hour in and it could have just, I could have just realized that. But anyways, where was I? Um, oh yeah. The, the sort of, um, familiarity that I see, I, I definitely am reminded, like I said, Fincher, uh, a little bit of David Lynch, um, or sorry, no, I, I already mentioned that. Yeah. Sorry. Christopher Nolan, his dark Knight trilogy, I would say is the closest to how, how grounded of a superhero film that we've seen. But even then, this film looks very, very different, uh, especially with the character of Bruce Wayne. You know, Bruce Wayne, the Christian Bale Bruce Wayne, th that is, he was a, he was a lot more uh, extroverted. He seemed a lot more social uh, than this Bruce Wayne. This Bruce, this Bruce Wayne that we're seeing with Robert Pattinson looks a lot more moodier, a lot more, um, you know, reserved, and doesn't really seem like he wants to be seen very much. Very much an introvert, right? And, you know, some of those qualities that an introvert has. And I myself am, you know, kind of an introvert as well. So I can sort of relate to that. Uh, he doesn't really seem like he wants to be outside very much. Like, you know, in the funeral scene, he just, he doesn't look very comfortable. Um, so very, very different in terms of tone, like tone uh, and, and, and scale, you know, cinematography, everything down the line. It looks less like a superhero film and more of a crime drama with Batman being a part of it is the best way I can say it without going on too much of a tangent here. Um, just trying to make sure I hit every single kind of note here. Uh, yeah. Um, but that, that pretty much answers the question. I think down the line, you know, cause I think we're all expecting there to be a trilogy at the very least of these new Batman films with Robert Pattinson. You know, once that trilogy happens and the writers and if Matt Reeves, you know, is, is still a part of this universe, if they feel like, okay, we've done our trilogy, we've told our versions of Bruce, our version of Bruce Wayne's story, we've completed his arc as Batman you know, DC, Warner Brothers, you guys are free to do with, with our version of this character with what you want to do, whatever. I kind of worded that bad. But basically what I'm saying is once they've had a couple films, maybe three, 
And like I said, they've completed that arc. Uh, then maybe at that point, DCEU wants to do their kind of Avengers Endgame, if you will. By that time, you know, we'll have to see what happens with Justice League. And then maybe they could bring Robert Pattinson in. But that is just pure speculation. That may never happen. Um, that remains to be seen. I guess only time will tell. But for right now, for the foreseeable, foreseeable future, I would not expect to see... Um, to see this Batman involved in the DCEU. And I think Matt Reeves even mentioned that when they were developing this film and before they had casted Robert Pattinson, they were still trying to figure out what was going to happen with Ben Affleck because Ben Affleck and Jeff Johns, they both co-wrote the script for the original uh, solo Batman film. And Matt Reeves, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, look, like, I read the script. Sorry, that's my cat, if you can hear that. Um, Matt Reeves said, look, I read the script, and by no means is it a bad script. It's a good script. But for the kind of story that I'm looking to tell, I don't want to have to, you know, prioritize having to include other DCU characters and having to reference other events and other things that have happened in this shared universe. That isn't the story that he wanted to tell. He didn't say it was a bad script because I... I, I would have been curious to see how that would have played out. I know that Deathstroke likely would have been the antagonist of that film. Um, but like I said, I just don't think that fit the vision that Matt Reeves had. And I'm glad that we are seeing him get uh, get to tell the story that he wanted to tell and the vision that he uh, kind of you know projected and, and saw way back when. So moving on, we got Joker two and uh like the title suggests as i mentioned it is coming sooner than we probably think and this is very exciting now the film has begun its early development uh several news sites and outlets have have uh have actually revealed that the first draft of the script has already been submitted to warner brothers so that's very exciting um and just as for the sequel itself i mean you know no surprise here uh, we all saw this coming. I mean, a film that is made for essentially a dime and the return you get is a little over a billion dollars. You are definitely going to at least consider the idea of making a sequel, whether you intended on making, you know, a sequel or not, or whether you wanted to keep this as a standalone film, whoever is financing this film and whoever, whoever's just, whose job is... Whoever's job it is to focus on the financial side of it, like the executives up at Warner Brothers, they are going to say, okay, look, we know that you intended on having this being a one and done, but look, the reality is this was a huge success and the audience is going to want more. And when the audience wants more, that means we make more money, essentially, you know, in, in a nutshell. Um, and we do know that the director, Todd Phillips, he, he's expressed his appreciation for having this film obviously self-contained because we know that like the Batman, we also know that this film in particular is also, uh, not a part of the DCU. I think they're, I think they gave like a name for films like the Joker and, and, and where to, where to put them. I think it's called DC Black Label because, you know, this film is rated R being the Joker. And obviously, like I mentioned, you know, the DCU has that kind of very, uh, has has that familiarity in terms of theme and, you know, aesthetic and, and things like that. 
So obviously Joker doesn't fit that. So it's not a part of the DCEU like the Batman. Um, but this film was a very, I don't want to say a pleasant surprise because I was excited for it, obviously. Um, but I didn't think it was going to make a billion dollars, nor did I think the people involved, like, you know, obviously the director, Todd Phillips, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, you know, the executives up at Warner Brothers, I don't think they even saw this film, you know, achieving this kind of success. Now, obviously they thought it was going to be successful because when Todd Phillips, you know, would have pitched this film to, you know, the board of directors of Warner Brothers, he wouldn't have he would have had to express his confidence in 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 what this film can do but i still don't think that neither he or anybody else involved expected it to reach the heights that it did so because of that you know you you sort of have to sit back and reevaluate like okay you know i didn't want to make a sequel but filming a billion dollars if i sit back you know i probably think there is some territory that you know we could explore, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not speaking for them or anything. That's just kind of, you know, from an outsider like myself looking at the situation, that's probably how, how they're approaching it. And we, like I said, we already know that the film's in development. They've handed in the first draft of the script. So they are working towards it. And, you know, to some people, news like this could, you know, could discourage some fans because, there are a lot of people that probably share that same kind of admiration for, you know, creating this beautiful, elegant story, you know, depicting, you know, the stigma behind mental health, especially back then, because the film takes place in like the 80s and the 70s and, and mental health was at that point, you know, we're still dealing with that today with, with that kind of stigma and, uh, and, and, you know, negative outlook on, you know, mental health. But back then it was worse than ever. Um back then they were still doing, they were still doing things like lobotomies and things like that and shock therapy and all that fucking horrific stuff. So back then mental health was definitely, uh, frowned upon by society. It wasn't taken, uh, very seriously as a profession and, uh, it wasn't taken seriously as an illness. So I think Joker did a great job of depicting that um, in a, in a very realistic light, because obviously it's still a film at the end of the day, there's still, it's still a comic book film, which sometimes I have to remind myself because Joker to me does not feel like a comic book film. And I think that's one of the most enjoyable things about it. It's one of the biggest redeeming qualities of that film is how unique it feels, it stands on its own, but you know, not for, you know, separate it from the comic book conversation as a film in general, I think it just stands on its two feet in a way that we've never seen anything like that done before. Now, you know, Todd Phillips has said, you know, he's taken inspiration from films like Taxi Driver, you know, as, as a sort of study of a character showing their descent to madness uh, with Arthur Fleck, um, because we see in Taxi Driver, uh, uh, Travis, Travis Bickle, I think his name is, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but we, but we, instead of seeing a descension to madness for him, we're seeing this ascension to him being like this vigilante. But anyways, I don't want to get off, off top, off topic here, but, uh, yeah, just, just talking about the idea of 
you know, where this film could go with the Joker. I just want to check the time here. Um, I think there's actually a lot of exciting territory that they could explore because the film ended on a very open note. You know, it, obviously, you know, Arthur Fleck didn't die, so the character still exists. We see that he he breaks out of Arkham Asylum. Um, and I think that there is a lot of exciting possible narratives they could explore. Uh, because with, with the Joker, we sort of see a character study of somebody who is obviously not healthy they're not in the best condition physically because we see how skinny he is he's obviously he, he looks malnourished um and obviously mentally because we see in the beginning of the film they reference his time in arkham asylum uh and he he's taking several different you know uh, med uh medications to sort of help with his mental health so he already wasn't in the best condition but we see that get even worse but if we're just talking about the Joker as a character, as, as we've heard many times people say, the clown prince of crime, they have yet to really fully flesh that out with this version of the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. So I think that they could explore more of the crime side. They started to do that because obviously Arthur Fleck, you know, killed those guys on the subway, but we haven't really kind of seen that crime, you know, boss of Gotham that we, that we've seen with the Joker. Um, so I think that they could really kind of fully flesh him out as the Joker, maybe, maybe tune up the costume a little bit, um, make it a little bit more comic book accurate, but I'm, but I'm also not one of those people that says everything needs to be comic book picture perfect. I'm not one of those people because if, you know, the the directors and the writers and the creative process when they're developing a film, if they just, you know, completely stuck or copied and paste things like costumes, stories, narratives to the big screen, it would it would be silly with, with some of the things. If they just strictly went off the source material, it would kind of be silly at times. And obviously we've seen they've never done that. That's why they've never, they still have yet to do the fully comic book accurate Com or costume for the Wolverine because it, it, it kind of is silly in a way. I know that's subjective, that's, but that's just my opinion. And I think that kind of represents that thought of like, you know, not everything has to be comic book accurate, but sometimes, you know, you do like to see a little bit of inspiration. And like I said, I'm not saying they have to go bright green hair because he already has the green hair with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but, you know, maybe change up the suit a little bit, because, you know, I don't have a problem with the suit, I, you know, I, I appreciate the sort of, like, red, orange kind of, you know, blazer that he has, and the yellow and green sort of undershirt, um, but maybe add a little bit more purple in there, you know, maybe, re you know, maybe remove the, the, uh, the blue circles, and, and, and maybe put in, like, gray or, or black circles around his eyes, uh, it, it definitely is comic book, inspired like if I look at Arthur Fleck if I look at the Joker it obviously like I'm not an idiot that's the Joker but compared to you know uh even Heath Ledger's Joker that was very much like it didn't that's a great that's actually a great example of what I'm talking about right now I'm not saying they need to copy Heath Ledger's Joker don't but they could still 
approach it the way that Christopher Nolan did. Because it's obviously the Joker. You can see they take inspiration from the comics. He has the green suit. He has the green hair. Uh, but the hair is longer. And the makeup isn't as perfect. You know what I mean? It, it, it looks like it was just done by him. It doesn't look like it was done by like a costume designer team for a film. You know what I'm saying? So they could approach it from that perspective. Flesh out the character more. Um, you know maybe explore more of the storyline of how corrupt Gotham City is, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, they're not going to put in Batman. I, I don't want them to. Um, and obviously, these these films aren't connected, you know, being the Batman and the Joker, because a lot of people are, you know, are, are curious as, as to are they connected, because some people aren't as, you know, they don't keep up with the film news. And no, to answer that, if you are wondering, most people know, but if you, if you're, if you don't know... Uh, the Batman, Robert Pattinson, and uh, the Joker, they are not connected because they take place in two different timelines because uh, the Batman is actually like a modern day film. Like it takes place, at, I think, in like 2018 or something. I could be wrong. Whereas uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, that is very much set in the past in like the 70s, the 80s. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, that pretty much kind of covers it here with with the joker um and yeah i i'm very very excited to to see when that film comes i, I think they said it's going it's scheduled to come out next year 2023 you know i've already mentioned this but 2023 is going to be a huge year for films i think even bigger than this year i'm excited you know i'm not losing sight of what we have coming but i think next year I definitely have my eye on some of the movies coming up next year, like Oppenheimer, which we will be talking about on this episode because there's more news regarding that. So next up, we got some Loki season two news. Now, similar to Joker 2, Loki season two is also on the horizon. In fact, they start shooting this summer. Uh, we're going to talk about this and I am very, very excited because a lot of you, if some of you keep up, with the podcast, you know that my favorite DCEU show at this moment is Loki. I thought it was it was elegant, it was beautiful, it was groundbreaking. It obviously is has it's had major implications on the NCU, and I think we're likely going to see Loki in Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness. Uh, and in fact, I think if you actually pay close attention. To the trailer, you can even see one of those little TVA rectangular doors opening up behind Wanda. So this show is, uh, I think it's magnificent. And I've just been eager to see when that season two is going to come out. Because we know that it is coming. If you watch the, you know, season one of Loki, there's a little end credit snippet of like a file. And on the file, it says Loki will return in season two. So we know what's happening. As it was just, It's just a matter of when, right? Very similar to Joker. Made a billion dollars. It's not. It's not. Will happen. It's when it will happen. Um, but you know, besides the fact. Uh, so, like I said, I mean, well, I mean, I haven't said this. <laughs> uh, we know through you know news reports and even you know Jonathan Majors himself that he will be playing Kang the Conqueror in uh, in Ant Man, Ant Man and the Wasp. I'm trying to remember the name. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. That is the third Ant-Man film to complete that trilogy. And we know that he is 
going to be the main antagonist. So then that kind of begged the question, will season two of Loki be after Ant-Man 3 or will it come before? And I, excuse me, I always kind of hoped it would come before just off of selfish reasons, just because the sooner I could see season two, the better. Um, And with the ending of that show, it obviously ended on a massive cliffhanger. Um, Now, according to uh, movieweb.com, they said, quote, season two of Loki is expected to start production in June with filming taking place at Pinewood Studios, which is in England, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they, fur- they go on, they, fur- they further say, the report from, wait, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, then there's a report, like if it goes on further, the article by written by Jonathan Fugue. I always mispronounce people's names. I apologize. Um, he goes on to say, uh, quote, a previous rumor regarding the second season of Loki has seemingly been confirmed with the Dis Insider claiming that filming on the Disney Plus show will begin in the summer of 2022. Referencing a casting website, the latest report states that production of Loki Season 2 is expected to start in June with filming taking place, like, like we just mentioned, at Pinewood Studios in England, which I was correct about. Uh, while there are very few other details surrounding Loki Season 2, this report describes... Uh, the show's return as once again following the Mercial, the, the yeah the Mercial villain as he continues his work as God of Mischief. The action is set across the Marvel multiverse with filming to begin in summer. Audiences can and this is the big part. This is the reason why we know the answer to the question. Audiences can expect to be reunited with Loki in the Time Variance Authority. Love them. Sometime in early 2023. Now, the reason why this answers a question, and now we know for a fact, well, not for a fact, because it's, it's, it is a report at the end of the day, but I think, you know, it's a pretty credible website. I think we could, we can expect that. And if we're seeing casting calls and, and, and things like that, you know, online, you know, I, it, it makes sense, right? Um, They don't want to wait too long because they still want to, they still want fans and people to, to be excited for this, obviously, but so we know what's coming, but Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, if I'm not mistaken, that comes out July 28th of 2023. So if, if this report is saying early 2023, then I imagine the show is probably going to be coming anywhere from January to March. Um, if there, if it's early 2023, that way it gives enough time to tell that story of Loki season two. And we also know that at the end of Loki season one, Loki finds himself in another universe where the TVA is, is run by Kang the Conqueror. Now the TVA technically was run by Kang the Conqueror as he who remains in Loki season one, but he disguised his identity to the TVA as, you know, the TVA being run by uh, the the timekeepers. But in this universe, we see a full-on statue of comic book costumed up Jonathan, or not Jonathan, well, Jonathan Majors. We see Kang the Conqueror. We see him in that statue, which we would have otherwise seen as the timekeepers in the other universe. And then Loki approaches, you know, Hunter B-15 and Age of Mobius, and they have no idea who he is because this is a different universe uh, the multiverse is has torn now. Like I said, that 
show is having major implications on the multi or on not only the multiverse but the entire arc that of the storyline that they're telling in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that is very exciting to see. And it looks like telling by the report, they're going to go even deeper and even further. And I imagine like in the multiverse, and I imagine we're also going to be seeing Sylvie return. And since this is going to be before uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Media, we are likely also going to see uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even think it's likely. I think we will see Kang the Conqueror make another appearance, albeit, you know, it, it, it could be uh, it could be like the, the final episode of Loki. It could be, although that, that final episode, we actually saw quite a bit of him. And I don't think we'll see as much of him, but I do think we will see him, you know, like I said, albeit a cameo or, you know, a, you know, a lengthy, you know, basically a whole episode or multiple episodes. He may be in like four out of the six episodes. We don't know. Um, but we probably will see him return. So that is very exciting news for fans of Loki like myself. We will be seeing that second season come very, very soon. Um, moving on here. What do we got? We got the Oppenheimer news. Yes. Uh, let me just make sure I hit every point here. Yes, blah, blah, yeah. Um, yeah, so. So on episode nine, I, uh, I believe that was the episode when I talked about the news with Oppenheimer regarding the castings and things of that nature. At that time, I think we had we had obviously heard about Killian Murphy, who's playing uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. We know that for a fact. But we also heard about castings like you know Robert Downey Jr., uh, Emily Blunt. Uh, who else, who was the other person that was casted in that as well? Matt Damon. We heard about Matt Damon. So we heard about those other three. Uh, three other cast members that we heard about, but there was no confirmation as to who they will be playing, uh, you know, in that, because this is essentially a biopic. This is, this is depicting a real story about J. Robert Oppenheimer, the guy who was behind the whole, you know, creation of the atom bomb. Uh, the, I talked, I, I, I did some research. I talked about, it. I, they created the little man, in the fat man, I, 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 my memory on that is kind of vague. I, I don't want to sound stupid. If my memory serves me correctly, I think that's that's the names of the two bombs. One of them was dropped on Hiroshima. The other was dropped on Nagasaki. But I, I can't quite remember. It's been it's been a little bit of some time has passed since I was I was looking at all that research. Uh, but anyways, um, nonetheless, we cover that film. I talked about how I'm incredibly excited. I'm excited to see Killian Murphy back in uh in a in a lead role for a film we've seen him in a lead role for for uh you know a show like Peaky Blinders before a feature film it's been a little while since we've seen him in the lead now he's done many films as a lead uh, as a uh, playing the lead character but it's been some time uh now he's done some great work in sort of that supporting actor role i, I thought he was fantastic in a quiet place part 2 I loved his uh, his appearance in Dunkirk as that kind of uh, nameless, you know, unknown soldier that they picked up in the water. Uh, that that was great. I loved. Obviously, he was fantastic in Inception. 
Um, so he he's done quite a lot of. I mean, even you know the the uh, the films that he's done as a leading man, they've all been fantastic. Uh, one of I think my first time, my first introduction to Killian Murphy as an actor, uh, in in sort of his his catalog of films, I think was probably that zombie film he did. Uh, I want to say it's 28 Days Later, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the name of the film. It's been quite some time since I've seen it. But anyways, so from that casting news till now, we haven't really heard about anything until recently. So recently, we got some big news. We got some big stars, big players that are joining this project. And I think this film is shaping up to be something special. Now, let's get into that. Here we go. So, uh, these are... Okay, yes. Okay, so the stars that are joining the cast, the recent news. We got Florence Pugh, Rami Malek. We all know Rami Malek. Benny Safdie. uh, Of course, him and his brother co-directed Uncut Gems. And he starred alongside Robert Pattinson in what I think is one of the Best movies I've seen in good times. Uh, then we got Josh Hartnett. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I, I'm not really too sure who he is. Uh, but they have all joined the cast. Or they've joined, obviously, the cast and the project of Oppenheimer. Now, uh, I have more notes. Now, we actually have confirmation of who some of these uh, stars are going to be playing. Um, now, I speculated as to who... Who I thought, you know, Matt Damon's going to play. Who, who, you know, who Robert, who Robert, not Robert Pattinson, who uh, RDJ is going to be playing. But let me just tell you before I give you the answer to who they will be playing. Uh, my predictions were wrong. Um, I could look back on that and uh, and kind of laugh, but they were completely wrong as to who I thought, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and everybody else is going to be playing. Um, like I said, we all know Killian Murphy is playing Oppenheimer, so don't need to, you know, include him in this. These were just the people that I had speculated. Um, so kicking this off, according to IMDb, Emily Blunt will be playing Robert, Robert Oppenheimer's wife, Catherine Oppenheimer. That'll be nice to see, um, Emily Blunt kind of be reunited with Kelly Murphy. I thought their, uh, their scenes together in a quiet place. Part two were incredible. Um, RDJ will be playing Louis Strauss. If I remember correctly, I predicted Matt Damon to be Louis Strauss. Um, so Robert Downey Jr. will be playing Louis Strauss. Matt Damon will be playing Lieutenant General Leslie Groves, who, who I originally thought RDJ was going to be playing him. Um, then we have Benny Safdie will be playing Edward Teller. Or no, sorry. I think I predicted, I can't even remember now The episode nine was so long ago. Um, I think I projected either Matt Damon or RDJ. One of them I predicted to be Edward Teller, but I can't fully remember. Uh, however, Rami Malek and Josh Hartnett's roles are currently unknown. So we don't know who they will be playing right now, but I'm sure as time goes on, we will, uh, I'm sure we'll probably hear that news. Um, I can only imagine what the budget for this film is going to be because, I mean, the cast alone is easily going to eat up a hundred mil. 120 million dollars you know like i said there are some big players these these there ain't no amateurs in this cast of course the director himself 
Anybody hear about the price tag he he took with Tenet? He made like almost like a hundred million dollars or something on Tenet, maybe even more. Yeah, you know, I, I could be wrong. I don't know that to be certain, but he made a lot of money. And of course, I mean Christopher Nolan. He's you know once in a lifetime director. You definitely need to pay him. Uh, but the cast. You know, the writers, everybody. I mean, that alone, the talent behind this film alone, probably, they we're probably looking overall at like a $300 million film because we also know that Christopher Nolan, while he does use special effects, I, I think you have to at least use some kind of special effects in today's, you know, films. But we do know that he loves to utilize practicality. And we do know that he likes to use practical sets. I think Killian Murphy described the scene in Inception. I was watching one of those things, like those GQ uh, interviews, when like an actor kind of breaks down his career and talks about different roles he's done. And he talked about Inception and the preparation that went into each scene and how Christopher Nolan had both hands on deck and constantly you know, tried to change things and basically put a lot of thought and process into his vision that he wanted to show up on screen. And specifically, Killian Murphy talked about the scene when Leo, I think it's a scene when Leo and him first meet, but it's in Killian Murphy's dream. And Leo was kind of explaining the process of like, your mind has been trained for this. And it's when they're sitting at the bar and everything starts to tilt and you could see the glass and the water and the glass start to kind of tilt uh basically Killian Murphy explained that that was all done practically there's no visual effects he said that whole set that they were on was on like a gimbal that basically tilted the set while they were sitting so they probably had to make sure like they didn't fall either um I'm sure they had some kind of harness or whatever but uh that was on a gimbal and that tilted to make it look that much more real and another scene in Inception that I think was also kind of on some kind of gimbal was the scene, the uh, the elevator, you know, hallway scene. That was also done uh, practically as well. The Everything was kind of twisting. We've seen that before in Hollywood. But still, nonetheless, that costs a lot of money to film, obviously, because you're using machinery, you're using you know, you're, you're using props, you know, you know, you have a stunt team sets, etc. So there will be lots of that in this film. Now, this is, of course, you know, the Oppenheimer story, this is depicting the creation of the atom bomb. So I'm not, ex- I'm not expecting to see that actually happen. Like the atom bomb, we'll probably see it blow up. I'm sure we will. That'll probably be towards the end of the film. I'm thinking the third, you know, third act, second act kind of. Uh, but until then, I, I assume it's just all going to be about the creation of it, obviously. So I'm not expecting to see a ton of, you know, explosions and, and things of that nature. But I do think that we will see a lot of practicality take place. Now, obviously, they're not going to drop a real, like, atom bomb in the film. Obviously not. But I'm sure they'll have some kind of explosion here and there. Um, but yeah, this film is, you know, I'm already incredibly excited for it, but it's really starting to become one of my most anticipated films of this year or uh, of next year, excuse me. And and, and I mentioned earlier with Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, 2023 is going to be a huge year, arguably even bigger with films like 
like I mentioned, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Oppenheimer. We have so much more coming out as well. And I Marvel, DC, you know, not even just comic book films, but there's a ton of really good films coming out next year without losing sight of uh, the exciting things that are coming out. Or sorry, next year, I'm, I'm looking forward, but I'm not losing sight of the films that are coming out this year. So before we get into the next movie news, I actually had to take about 10 minutes, uh, took a little bit of a break, ate some food. And while I was doing that, I was kind of surfing through YouTube and I found a trailer that Netflix just released, uh, kind of showcasing all the films that are going to be coming out this year. And I watched it and I'm not going to lie, it got me really, really excited um, looks like a lot of really cool things, a lot of movies, like period. Uh, but we see that, you know, kind of every year with, with, um, with Netflix, they release a lot of films. Some of them are good. Some of them not so good, but it looks like this is going to be a pretty good year for Netflix content. And, um, three films for me, cause there was a lot in that, in that trailer, but three films for me that really kind of stood out in that, uh, kind of preview there was one film, and keep in mind, they, they, they literally showed probably like 12 films, like teasers in this uh, in this trailer. So each kind of film only got about, I don't know, 10 seconds, uh, you know, per whatever, per showing in the trailer. But three films for me that really stood out in that trailer that got me excited and put a big smile on my face was one film. Uh, it looks like Ryan Gosling and... Um, Chris Evans are doing a film together. That looked pretty cool. Almost kind of gives me like buddy cop vibes. Um, the second film that stood out to me is is this Adam Sandler film. And I I did hear about this. It's it's like a, he's doing like this kind of basketball kind of movie. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Adam Sandler is a huge NBA fan. And there's actually a couple uh, stars that were in the trailer, like in in that shot. I think I saw Anthony Edwards. Uh, I think he's going to be in the film, probably several other, several other NBA players. Um, so that is exciting. Always good to see Adam Sandler uh, in in an upcoming project. And then the last film, they and it makes sense why they left that one for last, because it's probably going to be their biggest of 2022, is Knives Out 2. They showed a very, very quick clip. Uh, I have seen some behind-the-scenes um, footage of that uh, and, and it definitely looks like a completely new cast aside from Daniel Craig returning, obviously. And I, I, I haven't covered this on the podcast, but about a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, Netflix sold, or sorry, the, the writers, I think, or the directors sold the rights for Knives Out, like the property of Knives Out to Netflix for, I think something of like $400 million or something like that. Uh, and, and Netflix now owns the Knives Out property, and I think they've scheduled to make three Knives Out films, like a sequel to the first one. And I think each film will probably have a new set of, you know, ha- have a new cast, but Daniel Craig will return as uh, that detective that he played. Um, and I'm sure he'll return for each of those films, kind of just telling a different story, a different case that he worked on. So that is very, very exciting. I thought I would just quickly address that. I thought it was worth talking about. I didn't even have that in my notes, but I, I you know, I saw the, uh, I watched the trailer and it really did get me excited. I, I found myself with a 
big old grin on my face after watching that trailer. But anyways, uh, so that's it for that. Now to get into the last piece of news I want to cover for here today. Um, right before I shot today's podcast, I actually just found out that Dakota Johnson has been cast to play Madam Web. Now, a lot of you are probably just like, whoa, 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 who's Madam Web? Madam Web is a extremely pivotal, pivotal, excuse me. Uh, she's an extremely pivotal character in the Spider-Man universe. Um, now I'll be honest, I myself too, I don't know much about the character of Madam Web, but I, I know, you know, brief kind of little snippets. Like I know she kind of has some kind of psychic ability. She can sort of see in the future. Um, but we'll, I have a more, um, in-depth description from, from an article I was reading earlier, but nonetheless, this is a very important, albeit not very well known, you know, to the casual viewer, but she is an extremely important character in, like I said, the Spider-Man universe. And we know that Sony is going, you know, they're, they're, they're putting all their, their, their chips, uh, um, they're, they're investing a lot in, in this universe. We could, obviously there's Venom, they, uh, the Morbius is coming out and we know that, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson was also cast to play Craven the Hunter in his own film. So they are really kind of expanding that Spider-Man universe and putting both hands on the wheel. Uh, but let's get more into detail here. So now this film was reported a couple of years ago to be an early development, but since then we hadn't really heard anything about the project. And like I said, it's not a very well-known property, kind of, kind of like something like the Guardians of the Galaxy when that got announced. You know, some people know the Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously, but most of the casual viewer isn't quite familiar with those set of characters. Uh, and even something like Eternals as well had a lot of that, um, and I'll be honest, I really didn't know the Guardians of the Galaxy or the Eternals, so I myself kind of fell into that casual viewer um, group, but I am a tiny bit familiar with Madam Web, but like I said, this project was announced, and then we didn't really hear anything from there, we didn't really hear anything else, so I, I kind of thought that, you know, it's kind of a, you know, not very well known to most viewers. It's, you know, I'm not really hearing anything about it. I kind of just thought that the, the, the film and the project entirely was scrapped or at least put on a shelf, which we've seen many times in Hollywood. Um, but that isn't the case. Uh, and, and speaking of when it got announced, um, here's an article that came out back in May 20th of 2020. Uh, this was by Adam Holmes from cinema blend. Um, and the article says, quote, according to Variety, S.J. Clarkson, who's directed episodes of, uh, directed episodes of TV shows like Dexter, Jessica Jones, and Collateral, uh, has been tapped to develop a first female-centric movie for Sony's Marvel Universe. And while it is not 100% clear yet who this character is, insiders say there's a strong chance it will be Madam Web excuse me, uh, whose movie was announced as being in development last September. So that article came out several years ago, back in 2020. Um, and like I said, you know, I, I just kind of just got the impression that the film was being, you know, put on hold, I guess. But like I said, that's not true because 
Today, we got the big news that Dakota Johnson uh, obviously starred in the Fifty Shades films. Um, she's done many other films as well. I really liked her in Peanut Butter Falcon, which I just watched recently for the first time. And she had a very minor uh, appearance in The Social Network, but I liked her in that as well. I haven't seen all her films. Those are just the ones that you know come, come to me off the top of my head. But she's a great actress. And uh, I think it's a great choice for this character. Um, now, like I said, uh, I, I know very few details about the character, but I was doing some research and here's a more detailed description for those of you who are like me that don't know much about Madam Web. Um, this description comes from Joe Price of Complex. Quote, the character of Madam Web, also known as Cassandra Webb, is typically depicted as an elderly woman with, okay, I'm definitely going to mispronounce this, myasthenia gravis? Uh, okay. Often accompanied by a life support system, the character has utilized her clairvoyant powers to help Spider to help Spider-Man Spidey fight crime. I'm really sorry. I I guess I forgot how to read today. <laughs> um yeah, so uh hopefully you understood what I was trying to say. So yeah, those are kind of some brief details about the character. Um like I said, I was also doing some more research and a lot of people say that she can sort of see in the future and apparently uh in the comic she found out spider-man's identity without even like meeting him so i mean that kind of shows you her, her showcases rather her abilities and her powers um apparently she is kind of like the she's not necessarily like an enforcer like she's not going to go out and start kicking you and punching you she's more of just an extreme kind of intellect and she has these you know, abilities that all just come from the power of her mind, almost like a Professor X, if you will, you know, of like the Marvel, you know, uh, Spider-Man kind of universe, but uh, very, very exciting. And I'm glad to see not only Marvel, but Sony really tap into these kind of, you know, odd, not very well-known characters from the comics i'm glad that we're getting them. i'm glad that we're not just seeing you know the you know the uh the big players like you know we're not seeing iron man anymore we're not seeing captain america i'm glad that we saw them i'm glad that we got them but i'm glad that marvel is kind of transitioning to telling these stories that most people aren't really familiar with um and i'm very very excited for that so anyways guys that is uh that's it for the news and that's it for today's podcast we are episode 20 um things are going great uh i'm happy with where this podcast is going and i got a lot of goals and a lot of exciting uh things that i hope to accomplish in 2022 and i got a lot of other you know cool little things i'm working on the side with my acting uh that i will talk about in the future as that kind of unfolds um but yeah, that is going to wrap up episode 20 of Unbashful. I can't even believe we're already 20 episodes in. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited to keep on going. So thank you all for listening and watching. And I will see you on episode 21.